You're listening to the Daily Mishnah Podcast with Benedict. Yesterday we said goodbye to chapter 10, which was really about mixtures, but mixtures created by cooking and pickling. And interestingly, the first Mishnah in chapter 11 seems to be a leftover from chapter 10 in the sense that it is also dealing with cooking or with mixing or near pickling. We're going to talk about, um, you know, figs sort of pressed into fish to make uh, make it to sort of extract some of the juices. So we're going to begin chapter 11 with more cooking. But then chapter 11 is going to range over a set of boundary cases, most of them dealing with minimal quantities of trauma and what you do in that situation. And these boundary cases are going to conclude the Masachet of Terumot. So that is the path which we're engaged on. We're going to set out down that path today with a little bit of cooking. And the Mishnah is discursive. I mean, we've seen this already, the Mishnah is discursive. And the Mishnah will go into a little discursion on the special characteristics of grapes and olives. There are many things that apply to grapes and olives that do not apply to any other types of um, fruits which are grown in the land of Israel. And the Mishnah is going to enumerate those exhaustively as if to, um, I don't know, make a special point about these, these special kinds of fruits. Let's jump into the text. The chapter begins, with, as we said, with more cooking. Ein not nindavela, Ugragot, Ugragarot, Latoch Ha Hamurias. You don't put a pressed fig cake or dried figs into something called Murias. And some people translate Murias as fish brine. The Bart Nura says it's fish fat. I put it, that's why I've translated it here as fish fat. But the point is that the you do this and it spoils the fig cake. You might want to put the figs into the fish brine or the fish fat to make the fish taste better. But it doesn't make the fig better. We're going to throw the fig out afterwards. Whereas in the next example, you can put wine into fish brine because that actually takes it taste better. And we're going to end up eating the wine or drinking the wine, I should say. And remember, we've learned, we're summarizing in this chapter everything we've learned before in the Mishnah Terumot. And of course, one of the things we found out is that we can't throw away Truma and we can't degrade it. If you like, we can bring it up, but we can't bring it down. So putting it into a fish dish and then eating it is great. But putting it into a fish dish and then throwing it away is absolutely impossible. And in the same way, we're not going to use um, the ain fat minas Hashem. And if we've got trimmer oil, we're not going to perfume it, because that means effectively, rather than eating the oil, we're going to use it as something to rub on ourselves. And trimmer is supposed to be eaten. Well, at, okay, at the at the limit, it can be used to rub on yourself, but in principle, it's supposed to be used to eat, to eat with. And once we start perfuming it. We're not making it edible anymore. But conversely, we can 
put honey in, we can put perfume into honey and pepper because that makes the wine more attractive. And along the same lines, we're not going to boil trimmer wine, or that's the Tanakama, the first opinion in the Mishnah, because that decreases its volume. And maybe it actually decreases its taste. The Bartonora has an idea that, you know, regular people don't eat boiled wine, which don't drink boiled wine, which it might be a really interesting lesson for us today. And Rabbi Yuda permits, Rabbi Yuda has the view that it makes the wine better. So they agree on the principle, which is you can make things better, you can't make them worse. They might disagree as to whether boiled wine is better or worse. Um, <laughs> Rabbi Yudah thinks it's better and the Tanakama doesn't. They might disagree on the practical impact of boiling wine, but they agree on the principle that we can, if we've got trimmer, we can make it better but we can't make it worse. That really is the summary of the first Mishnah in chapter 11. And then now we're going to go on our discursus, our excursion, which is going to lead us eventually into grapes and olives. And there's all kinds of things we can do with trimmer. So let's say somebody ate um, he ate honey made out of dates. This is date honey. It's not uh, bee honey. Wine made out of apples. This is um, cider, basically. Chometz, sitvanyot. Sitvanyot, we learned about a few chapters back. They're awesome grapes. Uh, we learned about them in the Mishnah of Shvi. They're awesome grapes. They're rather bitter. They come basically after the regular grape harvest. Usha, kolme, perot, sheltrum. All of these are different kinds of fruit juice of truma. And these aren't proper uses of trimmer. Now, and now Rebbe Eliezer, we're going to go back, as we've seen right the way through the Masechet, into these disputes between Rabbi Eliezer, the idealist, and Rabbi Yoshua, the pragmatist. And Rabbi Eliezer makes someone who eats this stuff accidentally liable to repay the, the value and the fifth. The fifth, remember, we learned is 25%. And Rabbi Yoshua is going to exempt from the fifth because he says, look, you know, you take something that doesn't belong to you, obviously you have to repay it. But this is not proper. This is not proper trimmer once we've done these things to it. And we don't have to repay the fifth. Rabbi Elias is going to go on then to take all of these weird fruit juices and declare them liable to uncleanness of drinks. Rabbi Eliezer, and Rabbi Yoshua will disagree. He says the sages have actually enumerated seven drinks. He says the sages have enumerated them precisely. He refers to a monet patamim, some spice trader. A spice trader doesn't count spices accurately. He just, he, he'll sort of put on display in his shop whatever is required. He might add to a spice or take away from a spice. But the sages, Eila Amru, but the sages said, Shivat mashkim tmeim, ushar kola mashkim The sages said absolutely precisely, there are seven kinds of drinks that render food susceptible to becoming tame. And none of the other drinks do this. And we've seen before this list of seven drinks. It's in a Mishnah in Mach Shirin that says there are seven liquids. Um, 
dew, water, wine, oil, blood, milk, and bees honey. There are seven liquids which, if you spread onto food, make the food liable to to attract uncleanness if you know a creepy crawly or a dead person um, comes into contact with it. But it's just those seven. So if you take flour and wet it with fruit juice, even though the flour looks wet to you and to me, it's not susceptible to uncleanness. That's really the Mishnah in Machshirin, and that is the Mishnah which Rabbi Yahshua is referring to when he says the sages have enumerated precisely, not like these people that count spices that just you know put a spice in the list and take a spice out of the list, that are not precise about their uh, their enumeration. And you'll notice, by the way, in the Mishnah in Machshirin, that of all these liquids, there are only two which come out of um, which come out of plants. That is wine and oil. All the other liquids sort of come out of um, well, they they come out of the air or they come out of you know animals' bodies. But the two that come out of plants are wine and oil. And the Mishnah in the third Mishnah in the chapter seems to want to pick up on this this um, unique status of wine and oil, and it lists a whole bunch of things which only affect wine and oil. So we can't, and we've learned this before, we can't change any kind of fruit that's truma or maser sheni into manufactured products. Remember, we do, we, if we have a natural product, we don't make a manufactured product out of it to give truma, except olives and grapes. And the halakha of orla is that you don't get 40 lashes for eating orla. Except that which comes from olives and grapes. And we can't bring liquids as first fruits. Except that which comes from olives and grapes. And the Mishnah is then going to repeat. No fruit is going to repeat the Mishnah in Machshirim. They don't. No fruit juice is susceptible to uncleanness. Except that which comes from olives and grapes. And finally, nothing can be offered on the altar. That is nothing in terms of liquids. So we have we've we've gone this uh, it's the Mishnah has taken on, on this peculiar route. It's a Mishnah which is, I, I suppose, from a, a literary point of view, you could say that this is a Mishnah which was for, was you know it was taught from memory, was taught verbally, and the the um, the sayers of the Mishnah have brought into it all kinds of things that they remember and they associate with olives and grapes. That's the end of the third Mishnah. And then for the rest of the chapter, the Mishnah is going to circle firmly back into the question of Teruma. So we, we, if you like, we've had our excursus today and we've reminded ourselves as to all the other halachot of Tumah and Tahara, which, you know, the sages had in mind when they were repeating this Mishnah. And then from tomorrow, uh, from next week, we're going to go firmly back into the core subject matter of Trumot.
Thank you for listening to this edition of the Daily Mishnah Podcast with Benedict.